You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. We're in a series in Genesis going through verse by verse, and the title of the message this morning is The Half-Hearted Christian. The Half-Hearted Christian. Uh, Doesn't sound good, does it? The Half-Hearted Christian. Uh, Jesus uh, had a religious leader come up to him and ask him, Jesus, what is the most important commandment in the Bible? That's a great question. Here, this religious leader, he studied God's law. That was his his life. And he said, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? And without hesitation, Jesus answers that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Uh, This is the most important commandment. God wants to have a close, personal, intimate relationship with us. Uh, That is not a a commonly understood truth in the world. The world looks at God as this cosmic lawgiver, or they deny his existence completely. Uh, Both are errant. Uh, God created us for one reason, that we might live in fellowship with him, and as a result, our lives would glorify him. To know him is to be transformed by him. To know him is to have him pour his wisdom into us where it changes our life and our life then glorifies him. And this was God's desire in creating you. There are, however, those who know about God, actually believe in God, but they never enter into this intimacy of relationship. They are half-hearted in their faith. And uh, here in Genesis 18 and 19, it is as if God put these two men right next to each other in these two chapters. Abram, a man who his heart is fixed on the Lord, a man who is in close fellowship with God. We looked at him last week in, in our sermon last week in chapter 18, what it looks like to walk with God. And we saw this man, Abram, in a close, intimate relationship with God, walking with God. And now here in chapter 19, it's like God put the two right next to each other, Lot, this this man who is a half-hearted believer. And the two walks right next to each other, juxtaposition, you can look at them side by side, and we can say, wow, uh, oh my goodness, what a difference. Uh, God wants intimacy with us so much so that he makes this covenant with Abram. This amazing covenant that is a perpetual covenant. Uh, It goes on forever. It is unconditional. It is all God's doing. It has nothing to do with Abraham's performance. No matter what the Jewish people do, this covenant will stand and it will stand forever. And we looked at that in previous weeks. And last week, For this covenant, God gave Abram a sign of the covenant, and that sign was what, church? Circumcision, crazy sign, but very powerful meaning. A sign, like my wedding ring, just a sign. It's not the the covenant, it's just a sign of the covenant. And circumcision, a sign of the covenant, but a profound sign. The cutting off of the flesh. Why? So that we might live according to the Spirit, right? Uh, a picture, right? Cutting off of the flesh so that you might live according to the Spirit. The church does not have the sign of uh, circumcision by God's grace as the covenant, but we have a, a sign of baptism, which is the same picture. Dying to the life of the flesh, resurrecting to the life of the Spirit. Same picture as circumcision. Death to the flesh, life to the Spirit. And so God makes this covenant with Abram, And uh, says, hey, here's the sign of the covenant. And we saw a man who walks with God obeys God right away, right? Just obeys God right away, quickly obeys God. And Abraham did. That same day, he got circumcised. 
And what we saw last week was fascinating. Not only did Abram get circumcised that same day, but his whole entire house did as well. Abram had a large house. He had 318 trained military servants that were in his house, in his company. He had a huge business, CFOs, CEOs, managers, and all the such, lots of employees. And his entire house gets circumcised that same exact day. And you think, wow, how does that happen? Well, here's how it happened. Abraham uh, feared God. He walked in God's ways. He obeyed God. He kept God's word. And as, as a result, he had a lot of influence. So much so that when he told his team that, uh, hey, this is what God said, they all said, we're in. We've seen this walk with God you have. We know that you walk with wisdom. And Abram, when you give us counsel, it's always been right. And he has tremendous influence. And we see that the person who walks with God not only quickly obeys God, but also has tremendous influence. Uh, And so uh, uh, this is the story of of where we're at. And we're picking up in in, uh, Genesis 18. We're going to back up just a little bit where we left off. Um, God comes to Abram uh, and comes down... uh, in the form of three men, which is very unusual. Uh, There is God and two angels that are with him, but they appear as three men. Scholars call this a theophany, or more specifically, a Christophany, uh, where where a picture uh, of Jesus in the Old Testament, bodily, and he's there and he is speaking first person as Yahweh. We saw this last week. I'm trying to, if you weren't here last week, just trying to get us all up to speed on the same page. God himself comes in the form of a man and speaks to Abraham. He brings two angels with him. And the reason they come is to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, which we're going to look at today. And as he comes, uh, God himself, speaking first person as God, with these two angels, he comes to Abram, and Abram invites them in, and they actually dine with God. And now we're going to see this uh, relationship continue. Imagine the intimacy, just amazing to consider. You've got God there dining with Abraham. Verse 16, uh, chapter 18, verse 16. If you're there, give me a big amen. Amen. 1816. Let's pray as we do. Lord, as we open your word, we ask that you would speak to us. We know this is a spiritual book, Lord, and only by your spirit can we see and understand. So have your way with us, Lord. We give you our hearts now that we might know you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the setting, and here's what's going on. Uh, Verse 16 Then the men, that's the three men, God and the two angels, rose from there. That's at dinner with Abram. And they looked toward Sodom. And Abram went with them to send them on the way. Uh, They're now leaving and they're going to Sodom. That's why they came. Look at verse 17. And the Lord, underline the word, the Lord. It's all capitals, capital, every letter, capital. That means it's Yahweh. Uh, The covenant name between God and and the nation Israel, between God and his people. And Yahweh said, Shall I hide from Abram what I'm doing? Since Abram shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Here once again, God speaking, and he reaffirms the Abrahamic covenant. He's going to have a nation. He's going to have a homeland. All the people of the earth are going to be blessed in him. That's a promise of the Messiah that's going to come. And we know that that happened in Jesus. All the nations of the earth were blessed through the Jewish people. Uh, He says, shall I tell Abraham what we're going to do since we have this covenant with him? Look at verse 19. For I have known him. I love that verse. I have known him. I've walked with him. We have a relationship together. I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord. Here we see three things of a man who walks with God. Number one, he leads his entire family in obedience to God. God says, I know him. He'll lead his family. You say, well, God, how do you know that? Well, he already did. He led his whole company in in circumcision, right? 
He's, he's faithful. He's proven this. Uh, he also says, uh, I know him. He will do righteousness and justice. A man who walks with God does what is right, does what is just. God says, I know that about Abraham. He'll do what is right. He'll do what is just. And number three, that the Lord may bring to Abram what he has spoken to him. A man who walks with God inherits rich blessings from the Lord. All the things that God has planned for us individually, personally, blessings from the Lord. I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow him to receive all these things, God says. He walks in my ways. And so uh, here God asks this question, shall we tell Abram what we're going to do? And God says, yeah, I'm going to tell Abram what I'm going to do. Look at verse 20. And the Lord said, Yahweh said, because the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And because their sin is very grave, we're going to see how grave it is. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Uh, here we see not only does uh, what happens when a man walks with God, not only does he obey God quickly, not only does God give him a ton of wisdom and influence, but here we see God reveals more of his heart to him. God says, I, I'm going to reveal myself to him. I want him to know what I'm doing. I'm coming to Sodom and Gomorrah, and this is what I'm doing. And we looked at these points last week. This is a bit of review. Uh, God reveals his heart to Abram. He says, hey, listen, this is why I've come. Or going down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And look at verse 22. The men turned away from there, and they went out towards Sodom. But Abram stood still before the Lord. Wow. These two angels now leave and they go to Sodom, the reason they came. And who is Abram left with? Just him and the Lord. Mind-boggling to consider. The creation and the creator there together. This intimacy. And here we see clearly what God is doing. I, I love how God leads. I've been so in awe of this. I've been thinking, Lord, I want to lead more like you do. Look how, look how humble God is. Should I tell Abram what we're going to do? Was God really asking for permission? No, he's just inviting Abraham in. And I'm going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and see. Does God need to go down there and see? No, he knows. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Got a call from someone in Pennsylvania watching online today. God knows what's happening right here, and he knows what's happening in that person that called from Pennsylvania. He knows what's happening in their closet right now. He's omnipresent. Uh, putting two words together. He's omniscient and omnipresent. Uh, he, is, he knows all things. What is he doing? He's just revealing more of his heart to Abraham. Should I tell Abraham what we're doing? Should I tell him that we've come to judge Sodom and Gomorrah? And he's inviting Abram into his plan. And this is what God does with us. And notice how naturally and humbly he leads. I want to lead more like this. I am prone to go, well, let me tell you what we're doing. We're doing this. And you stand here and you do this and you do this. And I learn and I'm like, wow, God, you don't lead like that. Uh, and I'm in awe, right? Uh, and he invites Abram into this, this path, this plan, this, this work that God is doing. And the men leave. And now Abram is there alone with the Lord. Look at verse 23. I love this. Underline this. And Abram came near. To who? To God. The angels leave. And this is what God wanted. He just wanted time with Abram. personal, intimate time with Abram. And Abram drew near to God. And look what he says. Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? What's Abram saying? He's saying, God, I know you. I know you're righteous. I know you're just. I know you're a good God. I know there's no way you would destroy the righteous with the wicked. How many of you like justice being done? Uh, you like when things are fair. You like when things are right. We all have that innate desire. Where did you get that desire? 
any, uh, any concept of justice and rightness comes because you're imago Dei, made in the image of God. And here Abram says, God, I know you. Uh, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Verse 24, suppose there were 50 righteous in the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be judged and punished as the wicked. Far be it from you. Uh, God, Abraham is saying, God, I know you're not like that. I know that's not your nature. I know you're not like that at all. Look what he says. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Great statement. And God answered, so said Yahweh. If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Here we see Abraham knew God and he knew this about God. God is just. He always does the right thing and God will not punish the righteous with the wicked. When God brings punishment on the wicked, he will not bring punishment on the righteous. And this God has shown time and time and time again in scripture. When God flooded the earth, who could be saved? Anyone who believed. The ark was open to anyone who believed. And God never punishes the righteous with the wicked. We hold as a doctrinal truth at the Mission Church for a myriad of reasons. One of them being this truth right here. We hold a pre-tribulation rapture. Which that simply means the Bible teaches there is a time coming. It is called the seven-year tribulation. It is a time when God says the earth cannot continue in its sinful state any longer. And God brings his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And I believe the day is coming soon, even at the doors. And the Bible teaches something very interesting. It says before that day comes that the Lord will rapture his church. Rapture means to be taken by force. He will rapture his church. Uh, for the Lord will, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up. There's the word, rapturo, taken by force. Caught up to be with the Lord. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Uh, what is that? It, here's, it, God says, I will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. I won't do it. And there are those who say, well, I don't hold that position. I hold a mid-tribulation rapture or a post-tribulation rapture. I would say, well, then it doesn't match the person of God. And there's a lot of other theological reasons why we hold this position that we don't have time to go into this morning. But here, Abram understood the person of God. And he says, you won't destroy the righteous with the wicked. I know you. And God says, you're right. Now, for 50, even if there were just 50, I wouldn't do it. Uh, and here we see uh, something very unique about the man who walks with God. The man who walks with God prayerfully intercedes for those who are lost in sin. Abraham is saying, oh, I don't want judgment to come upon them. Will you save them, Lord? And he cares about the lost. Uh, so awesome to, to, to look at and to consider. Um, where'd we leave off? What verse are we on? Thank you. Uh, Verse 27, then Abram, then Abram answered and said, indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. What a bewildering concept. Abram, as he's speaking, realizes, oh my gosh, I'm interceding with sinner, for sinners with the holy 
creator of the universe. I who am but dust and ash, I, he knows the story of Genesis and creation, that man was formed from the dirt, and God breathed into him, and he became a living being. He says, I who am just dust and ash am speaking with the almighty God. And he uses the name for God there, the title for God, Adonai. I who am but dust and ashes speak with Adonai. Adonai is a title only used for God, not used for anyone else, only used for God. Adonai, the almighty God. I who am just a mere man speaking with the almighty God. And he thinks about it and he says, man, I asked for 50, but as he thinks about it, I don't know if there's 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. I've been there. It's a pretty wicked place. I've been to Vegas. I don't know if there's 50 people, he's saying to himself, right? And look what, look at this conversation he has with his God. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for a lack of five? Uh, Jewish people are amazing at negotiations. <laughs> well, Lord, if there was 50... Well, surely for just five less, right? I mean, just that they're, they're amazingly brilliant and great negotiators. And look what God says. So he said, no, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. Verse 29, and he spoke to him again, saying, suppose there were 40 there. And God says, no, I wouldn't do it for 40. And verse 30, he brings it down to 30. And then verse 31, he brings it down to 20. And look at verse 32. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak, but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there, just 10. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abram, and Abraham returned to his place. Oh, here we see the man who walks with God intercedes for sinners who are lost. Abram cares about lost sinners. He doesn't want to see them get judged. And so he intercedes to God in prayer. God, if there were 50, Lord, if there were just 50, would you? And on and on, this relationship with his creator goes as he is interceding with God for those who are lost. God, please spare them. Please spare them. Can I tell you something? This is what it looks like to walk with God. You care about the souls of the lost. Can I tell you something else? Religion does not look this way. Nor does self-righteousness. You'll remember there were religious leaders in Jesus' day, very self-righteous men, and they catch a woman in the act of adultery, and they bring her to Jesus. And the Bible says they bring her to Jesus, not because they care about the woman, but because they were self-righteous and they wanted to trick Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus. And so they bring this woman caught in the act of adultery. And if she was caught in the act, I can imagine she was scantily clad, maybe had a sheet, a sheet wrapped around her. And there they are with all their religious garb, their golden sash, their big fat Bibles, their religious artifacts all over them that make them look so special. And in one hand, they have a rock. And in another hand, they're pointing, this sinner, this woman, she deserves judgment. Moses said that if you commit adultery, that there's a punishment, and they don't care about her. They're not interceding, saying, Jesus, oh, the law says this, but we don't want to stone her. Lord, would you, what do we do? No, 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 not at all. They, they're just full of themselves. And Jesus, we know the story. He doesn't say anything. As a matter of fact, he writes, he, he acts like he doesn't even hear them. And the Bible says, and he gets down on his knees and he starts writing in the sand. And the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote, but we know it must have been profound because one by one, 
the Bible tells us, starting with the oldest religious leader there, one by one, in order to the youngest, they start leaving. Which tells me Jesus was writing in the sand about them. And he writes in the sand, uh, and he says, uh, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. And he writes in the sand, www.hotbabe.com. <laughs> and the first religious leader goes, drops his rock and walks away. He writes in the sand again, July 17th, such and such a date. And the next religious leader goes, Drops his rock and walks away. He does this until everyone is gone. He, Jesus hasn't said a word. Never spoke a word to the woman. His first words to the woman. And they're all there pointing at her. Rocks in hand. She's probably clutched, ready, ready to get pelted. And he first words to the woman. Woman, where are your accusers? And she comes out of her clutch position and she looks up. And to her amazement, she says, I have none, Lord. And he says, neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. Wow. And she feels worth. She feels value. As her creator cares about her, loves her, and says, you're important to me. Now walk on the right path with me. Oh, this is Jesus. And we see such a difference between a religious leader who just doesn't care about others. And Jonah was that way. He hears that God is bringing judgment upon Nineveh. And Jonah relishes in it. And he's actually bummed when judgment doesn't come. This is what self-righteousness looks like. But the man who walks with God, he intercedes for those who are lost. How are you doing? brother and sister? Are you interceding? Are you praying for that coworker? Are you caring about that neighbor? Or are you judging them for their sin? Are you thinking, look at that guy. Look at that LGBT community. Oh, how disgusting. Oh, really? That is not the heart of God. The man who walks with God intercedes in prayer. Oh, I want you to know about Jesus. Why don't you come to church with me? Come and, come and learn who this Jesus is. He forgives sins. He cleanses. Puts a right heart in us so that we walk in the right path. Uh, this is what Abram is doing. Uh, this is what all the men of the Bible who walk with God. May we have a, a heart like that. We read of Daniel who prayed three times a day for the sins of the people. We read of Nehemiah who prayed and fasted for the sins of the people. Oh, this is what a man, a woman who walks with God does. May we have a heart like that. Uh, this is the person God uses. Now, may I say that loving people and interceding for them in prayer does not mean approving of their behavior or approving of their sin. It does not mean just accepting them as they are. Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, when my kids were little, we would put those little plastic plug protectors in all of our electrical outlets. Did you guys do this? Uh, why did we do that? Well, because kids have no discernment, right? And they stick things in things that shouldn't be stuck in things, right? That's what they do. And I remember one day, my firstborn coming home, and we have a bar in the counter. Uh, not a bar, I mean, a, a, you know what I mean. I an island, an island. We have an island in our kitchen. And, uh, and the plug in the island is head high for a toddler, right? And I see my son, and he's pulling out that plastic. He had pulled out that little plastic thing. And in his other hand, a set of car keys. And he's about ready to stick it in there. And I come walking in the kitchen as he's about ready to put that thing in a place where it doesn't belong. And what do I do? Grab him by the waist. Pull him back. Bring him down eye to eye with that thing. Swat his hand. No. No. You see, 
the most loving thing we can do is not approve of bad behavior, is not just accept bad behavior that destroys a life, but actually show the person our love and our care and then show them the truth of how they should walk. And this is what Abram wants to do. This is what Jesus did. This is who God is. Jesus loves sinners. He met us right where we are in the midst of all of our sin. He talks to us. He cares for us, just like the woman caught in the act of adultery. And with wisdom, he then leads us to the right path and tells us to quit sinning and follow, us, follow him on the good path that he has for us. This is what Abram uh, is interceding to God about. Uh, he's interceding for those who are lost in sin. And church, may I say, so will we if we are walking with God. And we will do everything we can to bring them to the face of Jesus, who is able to transform lives by his power and glory. He's amazing. So again, this juxtaposition, we see what it means to walk with God. Now we're going to look in chapter 19, and we're going to see what a half-hearted believer looks like. And how painful a half-hearted believer's life is. Chapter 19, are you there with me? Now, the two angels came to Sodom. God had sent them away. Remember, and uh, God is with, Lot, uh, with Abram. The two angels go to Sodom. In the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Underline the gate of Sodom. Uh, that doesn't mean like a, a, a gate to a playground. The gate in those days meant the, the public square. It meant the courthouse. Uh, if you sat in the gate, you were a governor, you were a leader, you were a position of political power, you were a ruler in the city, and Lot is sitting in the gate of the city. Uh, let me ask you, by the way, how did Lot get this position of authority? How did he come to be a governor of Sodom and Gomorrah? How? Well, you may remember that just a few years back, all of Sodom and Gomorrah was taken captive by a rebel army. And they were wiped out. And there was one man who came to fight for his nephew Lot. And he brought Lot. He defeated the entire army and brought Lot and all the people back into the land. Who was that man? Abram. Abram. And that was Lot's uncle. And I don't know for sure, but I can speculate. I believe at that time, Lot got a promotion and became governor, a civic leader in the land, right? Uh, and so here he is. He's judging in the gate of Sodom. He's a leader. And what kind of shape is Sodom in? What is he doing with his leadership? What a mess. And when Lot saw them, these men that came, he arose to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Uh, here, Lot gives them tremendous honor. He recognizes something about them, some mark of something about them. Lot knew these were dignitaries, right? These were special. Uh, verse 2, and they said, excuse me, and he said, Lot said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you might rise early and go on your way. What's he saying? Stay in my house tonight, right? Stay with me, right? Come rest at my house. It's late. Come take a, take, have a good night's sleep. In the morning, you can go. And they said, no, no. We will spend the night in the open square. Verse 3. But he, Lot, insisted strongly. Here's a question for you. Why? Why did he insist strongly? Is it because he's so hospitable? I don't think so. He knows what goes on in Sodom and Gomorrah at night. And he knows that it's unsafe. And the sad part is, is he's a governing official. Woe to a leader who does not hold his post in righteousness. So he insisted strongly. So they turned into to him and entered into his house. And then he made a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. By the way, first mention of unleavened bread. And again, I want you to see a couple of things. Just a, a brief little sense. Made a meal for him, and they ate. Uh, 
these same two men and the Lord came to Abram's house. And Abram runs to slaughter the fatted calf. Then goes to his wife and says, baby, make an amazing meal. And he gets his wife involved. And he pulls out all the stops. And it says he brings the cream and the cheese and the milk and everything. And, and he, in other words, spares no expense. And we don't read any of that with Lot making the meal for them here. Big difference, right? Uh, verse 4. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, that's the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. How perverse is that? Uh, you understand what they're asking for. Uh, I remember, uh, I've been a Christian now for over three decades. And I remember when I first read this, I thought, how could that ever happen? I do not think that way anymore. Now I see how probable this actually is. There's a video, by the way, of a pastor in Canada who is trying to do a baptism. And the LGBTQ community, community has come around him in a violent protest. So much so that he has an entire police battalion, uh, this black pastor, around him, protecting him. And they are throwing things at him and he's getting pelted. All the police are getting pelted. And he's just trying to make his way with a group of believers to the water to baptize him. And they're shouting with bullhorns and speakers and shouting foul things. And they're dressed inappropriately and doing gross gyrations. Uh, <clears throat> I think you get the picture. Uh, I was going to show you the video, but it's too disturbing. <clears throat> you can go on, on YouTube. It, it's happening in Canada, even now as we speak. And, and he goes down and he needs police protection just to go to the water. And he brings these, these people who he's, he's baptizing to the water. And the whole LGBTQ community comes in around him. And they're splashing him and yelling and playing music really loud. And, and blowing on horns and doing these gyrations. All trying to stop this work of, the work of the Lord. And they start yelling at him and calling him these horrible things. And they call him racist. He's a black pastor. And they call him racist. And it's vile. And I looked at that, and this is the verse I thought of. Uh, they all come in, and they're pressing in hard against him. Uh, look what happens. Verse 6, so Lot went out to them through the doorway, and he shut the door behind them. Uh, I don't want these, these angels hearing what's going on. He shuts the door, right? And notice what he says, verse 7. And he said, please... My brethren, do not do so wickedly. Uh, how messed up is this? What does he call them? Brothers. And unfortunately, they were. Lot was living in fellowship, in brotherhood with that. He calls them brothers. Do not behave so wickedly. Look at verse 8. This is such a sad verse. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. They're virgins. Please, let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And the men said, verse 9, they said, the men, stand back. Then they said, this one, they're talking about Lot, this one came here to stay here. And he keeps acting as a judge, as a governor. And now we will deal worse with you than with them. Uh, Lot, you think we were going to treat your guests bad? We're going to do even worse to you, they say. Wicked. Just totally wicked. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. Lot couldn't even hold them back. And they come near to break down the door. They act with violence. When they don't get what they want, they act with violence. 
And church, I want you to know, contrary to public opinion, the LGBTQ community is not about love. Nor is it about equal rights. It's about gratifying themselves. It's about getting what they want. It's about getting their way. And when they don't get their way, they attack. Millennia later, nothing has changed. The same thing is happening today. And Lot, very foolishly, tries to appease them, calling them brothers. No, we're not brothers. Verse 7. Take my daughters, verse 8. What are you thinking? Are you kidding me? It is important that we know that there is a time when sin, when evil, when wickedness gets so pervasive that only judgment can stop it. There is a time. And this was the case with Sodom. Look what happens. Look at verse 10. Uh, let's keep going in our study. But the men reached out their hands. This, these are the angels. They reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Verse 11. And they struck. That's the angels. They struck the men. That's the, the LGBT community outside. They struck the men who were with them at the doorway of the house with blindness. I want you to circle that word blindness. Both small and great. Uh, both rich and poor, both powerful and weak. They, they struck them all with blindness. So they became weary trying to find the door. Interesting. They strike them with blindness. And do they quit trying to pursue their affections? No. They still try. And now they're growing weary trying to find the door. Now, that word blindness is an interesting word. It is only used in two places in the entire Bible. One is right here, and the other is in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. You might want to write that down. You can study it later. 2 Kings chapter 6. Let me just tell you the story real quick so you can see how the word is used in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha, Elisha uh, with an S, Elisha, is a prophet in Israel. He's proclaiming God's word. And the king of Syria goes against the king of Israel to make war against him. And because Elisha is a prophet, God speaks to him. And he tells the king of Israel, hey king, the king of Syria is going to be here tomorrow to ambush you in this location. Don't go down to that location. And so the king of Israel goes, thank you so much. The king of Israel's name, Joram, a wicked king, by the way, and God in his grace still leads for the nation's sake, even a wicked king. And so Joram avoids that, er that territory. Again, the next day, same thing happens. It happens again and again and again. Elijah tells him where the king of Syria is going to attack, and the king, uh, king Joram of Israel avoids the attack. It happens so many times that the king of Syria goes, we've got a spy in our midst. We've got a turncoat. We've got a snitch. Who is it? I'm going to kill the man. And one of the Syrian soldiers says, O king, there is no spy. There is a prophet. There is a man in Israel. His name, Elisha. He is a prophet of the true and living God. And that prophet tells the king of Israel, what you, king, speak in your bedroom. Verbatim, quote, what you, king, speak in your bedroom. I love that. And the king of Syria says, Elijah is a dead man. And the king of Syria sends an entire army, a big, huge squadron, out to go kill one man. Which man? Elijah. Elijah, the prophet in Israel. Elijah's in his house, just kicking back, reading his Bible, 
having a latte. <laughs> a little embellishment, not much. And this Syrian army completely surrounds his house. Imagine. Massive SWAT team completely surrounds his house. Elisha, the prophet of God, has a disciple with him, a guy he's mentoring and raising up, as any good man of God does. And that servant flips out. He comes running into the house. Elijah, we're in trouble. They're here to kill you, an entire Syrian army against you. And Elijah doesn't even put his Bible down, doesn't even put his latte down. You know what he says? He says, there are more than are for us than are against us. And the servant says, no, there's not. There's a big squadron out there, man. And Elijah prays, Lord, open his eyes that he might see spiritual things. And he tells the servant, go back outside. And he goes outside and you know what he sees? Chariots and angels on the hillsides of Israel protecting Elijah. Do you know that as a child of God, you have a hedge of protection around your life? I can tell you now, after walking with the Lord for decades, I look back and in hindsight, I can see it on my own family. I am so thankful. There is nothing that comes your way as a child of God that isn't father filtered. And oh, that we had eyes to see the spiritual work behind the physical work. You'd be blown away even here this morning. Elijah's servant sees and his eyes are opened. And then Elijah does something amazing. Elijah puts his cup of coffee down, puts his Bible down, and he walks out right into the midst of the Syrian army who wants to kill him. And it says, and they were struck with blindness, the same word. It's not physical blindness, it's confusion. Struck with confusion. The word only used in two places in the whole Bible. And Elijah comes out and says, hey guys, what are you here for? We're here for this guy named Elijah. Know where we can find him? And Elijah says, yeah, I'll take you to him. And he leads the entire Syrian army, this prophet of God. Guess where he leads them to? Straight to the king of Israel and to his armies. And the king of Israel goes, what a present. And right when he's about to kill the entire Syrian army, Elijah says, no, 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 don't harm a single one of them. And at that moment, the Syrian army's eyes are opened and they realize where they are. And from that day forward, the Syrian army never attacked Israel again. This is the word that he uses that he blinds these men. They're struck with confusion. And they don't know, where'd they, where'd they go? Where'd they go? And they're looking for, what house was it again? And they're just confused, right? Uh, you say, Dave, why did you tell me all that? Well, here's why, child of God. Because light, wisdom, insight, discernment, the ability to understand the heart of God is a gift that comes from God, directly from God, to you. And if God doesn't give it to you, you will never be able to see. It comes from God and from God alone. The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And Job knew this full well. Look what Job says about this subject. Uh, Job 12. Let me hear you read this church together. He, God, makes nations great and he destroys nations. He enlarge, enlarges nations and he guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth. What's that? Yeah, he guides the kings and he gives insight and he also makes nations great. And what else does he do? He takes away the wisdom of the leaders. I know you can't imagine that happening. <laughs> and this is why it is so, so important. The Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, God speaking, would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and call upon me in repentance, 
I would heal their land. I would give their leaders vision and wisdom and discernment to lead well and to build them up. But if my people won't turn to me, well, then he also takes away the understandings of the, of the chiefs of the people. Let's go on. And makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light. And he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Oh, what is that? You see, God is able to give you wisdom and insight. So that as you walk with God, you know how to speak to that spouse when there is a broken heart, when there is a gulf, when there is darkness. You know how to speak in such a way to bring light to the table so that gulf is closed, that darkness is lifted, and intimacy returns. You know when you walk with God, he pours light into you so that as a mother, you know how to nourish and to build and to give and to comfort and to raise up. He speaks to you as a father. He gives understanding and wisdom and discernment to a dad to speak to a teen that is about ready to hell-bent on running to destruction and speak a word at the right season to turn their life around and to bring them back to truth and to light. It all comes from God. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he has brought us forth and poured light into our lives that we might be a firstfruits of his creation. What's that? He pours light and wisdom and insight and gifts into us that we might have meaningful, profound relationships that are so filled with wisdom and discernment that we speak truth into our lives, that our families are strong and our kids are healthy and our lives reveal the glory of God. But look how foolish a man is when he's a half-hearted follower. And look how much he walks in darkness. He calls people who are wicked his brothers, his friends. He leads in a government and accomplishes no good. And he is so demented, so delusional, so lacking wisdom that he will say, take my daughters. What the heck is wrong with you? You're walking in darkness. You can't tell what is good and bad. And you will break a daughter's heart to build a business. And you will break a son's spirit for your golf game. And you will do foolish things and not even know what you're doing because there's no light in you. The Bible says the path of the righteous is like the noonday sun that shines ever brighter under the perfect day. The path of the wicked is like darkness. They don't even know what makes them stumble. God gives light to those who walk with him. And that light is the, is the life of man. That light is wisdom and discernment. That light is understanding of God's love and God's ways. And it will transform your marriage, your family. The, your sphere of influence. It will give you influence in a dark world. This is how important it is that we walk with him. Here we're looking at a half-hearted Christian who has no wisdom, no discernment, and his family is a mess. We're going to see he can't even lead his own wife, can't even lead his own sons. He has no influence whatsoever. Oh, it's staggering. He's so out of touch with reality. And oh, just contrast that with the life of Abram, who in one moment can speak and hundreds of men will follow him. Just amazing, the contrast. Where did I leave off? What verse are we in? Verse 12, thank you. Uh, we got a little bit of ground to cover. Let's see if we can get there. <clears throat> then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, they shut the door, right? They bring him in. There's this rioting LGBTQ group outside. They pull him in. Hey, is there anyone else here that you have? Your son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. What's he saying? He's saying, Lot, how much influence do you have? 
Tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your sons, tell your dog, tell everyone. Get them out of place. Judgment's coming. Look at verse 13. For we will destroy this place because of the outcry against them has grown great here before the face of Yahweh, before the face of Jehovah, before the face of God. And God has sent us to destroy it, to bring judgment. There is a day when God says, that's enough. I'm bringing judgment. And that day had come for Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters. And he said, get up out of this place for Yahweh, Jehovah, will destroy this city. And underline these words. Read them with me out loud. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Wow. Wow. He seemed to be joking. And here's something that we see. It is painful to look at. A half-hearted believer has no influence on anyone. A half-hearted believer has no influence on anyone. No influence on sinners and no influence even on his own family. No influence. There wasn't a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, anybody, not even his own kids, not one of his sons, not one of his married daughters, not one of his sons-in-law did he have any influence on. They all perished. So sad. Lot has no respect Law has no credibility. No one is taking him serious. He has no influence. And the words that they said about him were, they thought he was what? Choking. Here's the question. Why did they think he was choking? Yahweh is bringing judgment. And they thought he was joking. Why? Why? Here's why. We've never heard you speak of Yahweh before. We've never heard you talk about Yahweh. What are you talking about? Are you drunk? Are you high? You have no credibility with us. You have nothing in your life that shows that you look like you know Yahweh. Who's Yahweh? Yeah, right. Look at this guy. And they laugh him off, right? Crazy. This is sad, man. Compare this with Abram again, right? Who had 318 trained servants that would in a moment say, yeah, I'll get circumcised if that's what we're doing. If that's what your God told you, I know when God speaks to you, it is amazing. It works. I'm in. Your God's my God. Look at the difference. Lot can't even get people to flee judgment. Crazy. Church, can I tell you something? You walk with God. You walk with Jesus. You have an intimate relationship with your creator. You make his word your authority. You make his word. You make Jesus the Lord of your life, the authority of your life. And you will have tremendous wisdom. And when you speak, your words will have powerful influence. Because Jesus said, I have called you to be salt and light in a world. That means to have influence and respect in a world, to show people the right path. I've called you to be salt and light. And can I tell you something? When you walk in that, your life has value. Your life has significance. Your life has meaning. There's not enough hours in my day to do the work that I know the Lord wants to do in and through my life. And there's nothing special about me. This is his way with all who walk with him. May we be wise. Uh, and Lot here, he just has nothing, right? He has nothing. Uh, look at his, how his irrational folly continues. This is so sad. Look at verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And look at these words. Verse 16, read them out loud. And while he lingered. Are you kidding me? Why did he linger? Well, hang on, hang on. I got to get my iPad. Hang on, hang on. I got to check my stocks. Hang on, hang on. Crazy. 
Then they took hold of his hand. That's how they had to get him out of there. They took hold of his hand. They took hold of his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters. The Lord, Yahweh, being merciful to him. If they didn't take his hand, he would have never left. And so in God's mercy, this rebellious, wayward son, God takes him by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought them out and they set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he, that's the angel said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. And Lot said to him, oh, please, no, my lords. No, 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 no. I don't want to do that. Are you kidding me? Do you see how lacking discernment he is? Do you see what a fool you are when you don't abide in Jesus Christ? It's, it's crazy, right? And by you, I mean myself also. This is what happens if we don't abide in Christ. No, my lords, verse 19. Indeed now, your servant has, has found favor in your sight. That's obvious. Which you have increased in your, your mercy. Which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. Is this insane logic? Oh, no, no, no. I can't live out in the open. I need to live in a city. I, I can't make it, man. I need city life. Uh, Lot had the wrong priorities, right? He had high priorities on city life and he had low priority on walking with God. No, 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 man. I need, I, need to, I need a city. Verse 20. See, now the city is near, near enough to flee to, and it is, it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. Crazy. You know what he's saying? No, no, no. I can't live in the hills. I need a liquor store. And I need HBO. And I need nightlife. And I need, I need a city. Verse 21. And he, that's the angel, said to him, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there. And I want you to notice this. Pay close attention to verse 22. For I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the place was called Zoar. Zoar means little. It was just a little city. What did the angel say? That I asked you in our line. What did he say? I cannot do anything. What was he referring to? Bringing judgment. Abram went all the way down to 10. Did he change God's mind at all? No. How many would God go to? I can't bring judgment on the place if there is one, one of my children there. I will not bring judgment on it. And the angel says, I can't do anything until I get you out of here. Uh, this is the heart of God. This is who he is. We're out of time. I want to go more with you, but uh, I can't. We're out of time. So we'll pick it up here next week. I'm going to ask the team to come back up and to close us in song. And I have a question for you. Which man are you? Are you walking in close fellowship with God? Like Abram. Or are you half-hearted follower? Like Lot. May we be wise. The man who walks with God obeys God quickly. He makes Jesus the Lord of his life. His word is his priority. As a result, he has tons of wisdom. And he has a lot of influence upon others. The man who walks with God has God always revealing more of his heart to him. Hey, let me show Abram what I'm doing in the world today. So that Abram can be a part of this work that I'm doing. Revealing more and more of who God is to Abram. And the man who walks with God, he intercedes for those who are lost. Oh Lord, please have mercy on them. Let me use me, Lord, to go tell them about you, to bring them to you. That's the man God uses. The half-hearted believer, he's a fool. He has no wisdom. He has no discernment. 
He pursues foolish things and breaks the heart of his own loved ones in the process by his foolish pursuits. No one takes him seriously. He's not respected. He stands for nothing. He lives in torment. His marriage and his family and his entire life are a mess. And he's content knowing this much about God. May we be wise. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.